The Courage to Lead, episode 170. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Please help me welcome Daniel Murray. As a professional speaker, Daniel is the leading expert on developing strategic empathy to drive purposeful performance. Through his professional presentations, training programs, and white papers, Daniel is the number one authority on how leaders can build the commitment and trust to ensure they are a leader worth following. Daniel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Coach. Really great to be here. That's absolutely great to be here. You're uh, calling in from Brisbane, is that true? Yeah, yeah, near Brisbane over in Australia, a little place called Bribey Island. People can go and Google that one day and see where I am. It's, uh, it's a great spot. Nice. Uh, that's on our bucket list to go down. We we had plans to go down to Australia, and then, of course, a little pandemic kind of cropped up. <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, we're hoping to get back. So, uh, you're welcome. Welcome. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Um, so I, I know you started off, you say you're, you've got a background in mathematics, and now you're working with leaders, helping them to understand empathy, how to be empathetic, how to work with their and engage their employees and everything like that. Uh, that's a big transition. Bit of a shift, yeah. It's um, look. I, I think the the simple path uh, here was that I was a very analytical person, very focused on um, process. And anyone who studied maths knows that it's really about understanding systems. It's how it's the language of how things work together and and how they uh, interact. And in working. Uh, with those skills in places like financial services organizations, uh, banks, and insurance companies, for example, what I saw often was we understood the mechanics. We understood the, um, the tangible pieces. We knew the formulas, but there was always this factor that would throw us off. There was always something that went wrong. And um, often it was because we ignored some of those intangible pieces that don't fit nicely into our, our mathematical equations. So emotions, values, culture, um, the, the way in which people will do things that don't make logical sense, but make an emotional sense. And if we just kept ignoring those issues, we would continue to have many more problems. So um, I recognized this, realized that it wasn't a skill I necessarily had and, and maybe the people around me didn't necessarily have either and thought this is a, a problem that needs fixing and uh, decided to, to dive on in and, and give it a shot myself. Definitely. Well, it is definitely something that needs to be fixed because this is a huge problem in, in uh, a lot of businesses. We had a panel discussion uh, this past week on c- company culture how difficult it is. A lot of people don't understand what culture is, how it impacts everything in your business, uh, everything around your business, right? So it's it's definitely huge. So yeah, I want to I want to learn more about uh, empathy and and how you help people. Before we get started, though, I've got t- ten questions that I ask every one of my guests. Um, right. The listeners know that these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actors Studio. For those, James Lipton asked these questions of his uh, Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage, and I always figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite. They're certainly good enough for my guests. So, Daniel, if you're ready, 10 quick questions for you. Fire away. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite word? 
Good question. Um, uh, probably. <laughs> I think it provides a nice a bit of certainty without uh, committal. Without committee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Good job. All right. What is your least favorite word? Uh, probably, <laughs> that's my favorite. Um, I, I don't like when people say uh, something can't be done. So can't. You know, I think that's a, that's a word that always frustrates me. Absolutely. All right. What turns you on? Uh, I love going fishing. I love being out on the water, love boats. Uh, that's, that's my happy place. Yeah. That, that gets me excited. Awesome. All right. What turns you off? Uh, people who, uh, complain, who are negative, uh, and take advantage of others. I, I really dislike when I'm in those situations where someone's taking advantage of someone else. What sound or noise do you love? Silence. <laughs> I really enjoy just, you know, or, or maybe the, the waves and the water, just uh, that, that's uh, very calming for me. Yeah. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, uh, crying. <laughs> we've got a four-year-old, so we've been through periods of, of loud crying. Uh, I don't know if I hate it, but it's, it's definitely something that uh, ignites me. <laughs> All right, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? I'd probably go with uh, starts with S, um, you know, rhymes with ship. Uh, I think it's very versatile. You get a lot of uh, mileage out of it. It can be a good or bad thing. It's quite, uh, yeah, we, we use it quite a lot down here. <laughs> All right. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I'd love to be a professional golfer. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm never going to be. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, being able to spend that much time just trying to do one thing well, it's, it's, uh, that'd be good fun. Absolutely. All right. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, probably being a chef. Uh, I think the chefs and, and people like doctors, they do really long hours. It's hard work and they don't get the credit. I think they're due. Very cool. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, maybe you made it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it might have been a close run thing sometimes, whether I go up or down, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but no, uh, I think something fun and jovial. That'd be a nice way to join, uh, uh, join heaven. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Like I said, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, how you made the transition into working with uh, empathy and working with leaders to help them understand what empathy is and, and the impacts of it and stuff. And at some point, we're going to transition into courage and leadership. All right. Excellent. Very cool. All right, listeners, we're going to talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Daniel Murray. Daniel, thanks again for getting up so early to be on the program. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. My pleasure. So I, I've been watching some of your videos and some of the posts you have out on social media and everything like that. One of them that really stood out, you have one that's a, like a slide um, that kind of 
empathy, right? And you start with the question, why do people do what they do? That's huge. I've said that to myself. Usually I'm driving and somebody does something. <laughs> it's like, why are they doing that, right? Um, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, they teach us that the map is not the territory, right? My map of the world is totally different from your map of the world. You do things that make total sense to you. I do things that do make total sense to me, but yours don't make sense in my world, right? When somebody does something and we stop and ask ourselves, we have to try to put ourselves in that person's place. Like, how is this, right? Is that the empathy that you're, you're talking about? Yeah, that's a definitely a part of it. I think it's understanding um, what's going on, what's driving someone to, to do the things that they're doing. And the challenge, even in doing this, um, is that the, the process you described, which is a very good one, which is saying, okay, I, my, when the natural way people do this is to say, I'll assume that my map's the same as theirs. My mental models are the same. And the reason I would have done that is because of this and therefore that's the reason they're doing it you know um uh, maybe i would never cut someone off in traffic so if they're doing that it must be because they're a bad person right? and so that, that's our natural way which is not empathy the the second part which is um on the right path but there's still some challenges is the piece you're describing which is okay if let me try and put myself into their shoes and their mind and and understand what might be going on. It's a very good place to be. But we also need to recognize the shortcomings of this because that's a cognitive process. That's where we're thinking our way through why they would have done things. In reality, we do a lot of things that we aren't aware of why we do. You know, um, the simple things like we digest food, we start sweating, we have no conscious control over those processes and yet they still happen and then we can explain them post hoc, if you like. So what we need to be able to do when we're really trying to build empathy is uh, try and understand people, not just at that cognitive level, but also what are those unconscious drivers, whether they be emotional or um, or other types of influences that might be going on for someone. And we, we have to have quite a broad amount of curiosity about that because um, it, it's not a very simple process. And we, we also need to concede that we're not always going to get the right answer or, or an answer that we're satisfied with. But yeah, so yeah, that's always been tough because I, I don't understand what's going on with them. Right. I don't really know their life, their experiences, mm -hmm. their, their thoughts, emotions, or anything like that. Um, in that that same slide deck, you say empathy is a skill every leader must develop to build a successful team and sustain performance. But how do you how do you teach? How do you go about teaching a leader to be more empathetic? What does that yeah. What does that look like? Sure. So uh, look, there's a four step process that I built. So one of the things I found when I started this journey was that I wasn't particularly great at empathy uh, as a mathematician, no surprise there. But um, I wanted to, if there was a process I could follow consistently, I knew I'd get better. Uh, and that's the same for just about anything we do in our, our, our lives. If we can understand and build these processes and follow them, we'll, we'll get stronger at it. And so I built this process uh, because I couldn't find one. And the first step is what we call conscious curiosity, being consciously curious. And uh, for leaders, this is uh, really, really important and very, very difficult. So the, um, the idea of being consciously curious is saying, I have assumptions about why someone would do what they do. Uh, I have assumptions around this person. 
you know, uh, and, and we do. We, anytime we look at anyone, there's a whole series of um, assumptions we make, some of them conscious, some of them unconscious, and they're all there. And, and what we tend to focus on is telling people that oh, we shouldn't have those unconscious ones or, you know, we've got to follow some rule book on what they are. The problem of changing one set of assumptions with another set of assumptions is they can still be wrong uh, and they're hard to change. So conscious curiosity is acknowledging we have them, but then in this moment for this piece of work I'm about to do, I'm going to put them aside. And so maybe it's a leader um, talking to one of their staff, maybe it's a new staff member, maybe it's a new customer, stakeholder, boss even, and I'm going to acknowledge that, look, I have some assumptions around what's going on here, but right now I'm just going to park them uh, blank slate, you know, go back to that really um, old sort of uh, traditional way of thinking of I know nothing, but I'm really interested and I'm going to start from this position. At that point, we go into the second step, which is openly explore. We ask questions. We seek to understand. And, and this is where that conscious curiosity is so important because if it's step two, I haven't opened up that real sense of uh, honest, open, conscious curiosity what I'll do is I'll ask questions to validate my assumptions. And we see this in interviews all the time, right? You, you read the CV, you make assumptions, some of them conscious, some of them unconscious. And then you go in and ask really pointed questions to validate rather than saying, hey, I just want to understand this person, what's going on. And at that stage, now I've gathered this new information with this curiosity. The third step is now let's challenge those mental models I had before. I had a set of assumptions and models. Were they right? Were they useful? Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. Um, and maybe this person deserves a brand new mental model for themselves. And we all um, will have this where a certain type of person will have a category for whether they be Christians or Jewish people or whatever the category, you know, um, Mexican people, Chinese people, we have these big broad categories in our mental models and, you know, we sort of go, oh, we should, maybe we shouldn't have them. We have them whether we like it or not and they serve some purpose. But then we all know individual people from those categories who we don't have those same set of assumptions around. We give them a brand new set of assumptions right. or a unique set. Um, we even hear people say, well, they're not like those other people. <laughs> and the reality is none of those people are like those people. Right. Um, they're all unique, but this is just how our brain deals with that complexity. And so we, we, that third step is we go, okay, now I have this new information. What's a, the mental model that's appropriate and, and useful for this person? And my final step is, okay, now what decisions will I make? Leading with empathy is what are those decisions I'll make based on this better understanding? And uh, that, that's the process that we, we take people through, conscious curiosity, uh, openly exploring, challenging my models, and then leading with empathy. And um, the, the key to this model is that first step of recognizing that I have assumptions. And, and that's where a lot of the challenges come in for, for leaders. Yeah, because we pick up not only, our, and I remember watching one of the videos, you talk about the guy Barry that's trying to get on a train. Right? <laughs> yeah, and he, he's writing down what he's seeing and he's making these assumptions that everybody like this is rude, right? We do that. We write our own little card. Cards are given to us as we're growing up. We're seeing yeah. how our parents react or what our parents say about things. So we're 
taking those cards and putting them in our deck. And so we have all these, these filters going on and stuff. That's tough to get past. That's, it is. that's gotta be hard for leaders to, to let go of all that. And we talk about intellectual courage, setting aside your long held beliefs, the knowledge you have to make room for brand new knowledge. That's something tough to get rid of, right? Yeah, absolutely. And um, as I often say to leaders, uh, because it's so hard, I don't want you to try and do it all the time. Um, it'd be exhausting. Um, uh, you'd probably have a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, I, I often say to people, when you're driving down the street, don't, when you see the red light, don't go, oh, is it really a red light? Maybe it's not. Like, that, that's a good card. That's a useful one. Stop at the red lights. Um, but, you know, when we're changing into new situations, when we're looking at um, uh, different environments, different worlds, when we're meeting new people, that's there's times when as a leader you've got to go, hang on, I just need to pause here. And I need to, to have that courage to to park those things. And, and this is where, you know, when people are frantically busy, when they're stressed, when they're tired, uh, those different uh, pressures on the brain will push the brain to default modes and away from this curiosity that we really need. So it's it's being able to pick those times that's really, really vital. And I know in one of the, the videos you talked about, um, everybody thinks that empathy, when you say empathy, first thing they think of is walking a mile in somebody else's shoes. Yeah, that's right. But but the problem is, uh, when when I walk a mile in your shoes, I have my experience in your shoes. That's not necessarily. And you have my shoes. First of all, I stole your shoes. But yeah, you're right. It's um, you know, it's we have this assumption that well, what would I have done in that situation, or how would that have felt for me? My perspective on that is, I don't care what it would feel like for you. Right. If you're really interested in this person, understand what it feels like for them. Because empathy is, is not saying, um, I would have felt like this. It's trying to understand what's going on for them. And, you know, that's not always easy to do because uh, we don't have the same emotional background and content as someone else. And uh, it's really hard. So let's acknowledge that it's hard but useful and sort of journey forward slowly from there. So what is a, when you're working with leaders, what is the hardest part for them? Is it that curiosity to be able to set aside their thoughts and their beliefs and, and be curious? I, I think it's actually breaking down some of the systems around them sometimes. So for example, coach, if, you, if you're, you, you have a regular sort of team meeting that has a really set agenda and uh, it's fast paced and decisions are made really quickly. If you say to someone, okay, I want you to practice empathy in that room, it's really hard for them to to break that mold of what this room actually does and how it works. And so it's things like having the time and space, it's creating that the the systems for that to that curiosity to exist that is really challenging for a lot of leaders. Um, I was writing a piece um, uh, yesterday, actually, it'll go up soon around um uh, a gentleman, uh, Stanislav Petrov, I don't know if you remember this story, but he was a, a Russian uh, lieutenant colonel, uh, Soviet lieutenant colonel during the Cold War, and he was uh, at this panel where there was an early warning system for a nuclear attack. It started sounding. Uh, the, the sounding of this alarm represented that the US had launched five 
uh, nuclear warheads at the Soviet Union and they had 25 minutes before they landed. His job was to pick up the phone and tell his superiors. But he, he didn't. He didn't take that immediate action. Instead, he thought, well, hang on. Why would they only launch five? That doesn't make sense. If you're going to do a surprise attack, it'd be hundreds. Surely this doesn't, this is something's not right here. And he took moments to pause and not follow that automatic system that was built for him. Hmm. Now, thankfully he did because there was no attack. It was um, sun reflecting off clouds, which set off some satellites, right? New technology, it failed. And fortunately he had that time and patience to just in, in extreme pressure to, to wonder, hang on, why would they do what they did? That doesn't make mm. sense to me. And there's that piece of empathy there of, oh, hang on, th- th- strategically, th- this is strange. And because of that, the world didn't end in 1984, I think it was, um, which it very well could have with a, a simple phone call. So, you know, the people sort of say, well, I don't have time for empathy. I'm pretty sure if he had time, you've got time. Uh, and the, the problem I find for most leaders is, in the rush to get stuff done, in the rush to be productive and busy, we make so many of those mistakes I talked about at the start that we then spend so much time trying to fix down the road when if we just pick our moments to go, hang on, how could this really play out? Then it it can have a huge impact. So just pausing and thinking a little bit, that's, that in itself is tough, you know, but. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also challenging each other. Um, I'll give you an example of a, a case study we've been working with uh, with an, a very large Australian bank, uh, if you like, Coach. Um, they they were sending out letters to to credit card customers who hadn't been using their cards, dormant card holders. So these are people who had a credit card, weren't using it for, for whatever reason, and they didn't want to keep charging them a fee. So they sent them letters and said, if you still want to use your card, that's all cool. Just come into the branch and let us know there was big bushfires across large parts of Australia and they decided, well, if we keep sending letters, they might not arrive. People don't have homes or letterboxes. So let's stop sending the letters and instead let's make phone calls to all those people to make sure they're okay. And when we gave people this option, uh, about 95% of the, the groups we gave it to just said, absolutely, that's a great idea. Let's make phone calls. And you might even be thinking, that sounds like the right thing to do. This is like a nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. But when we peel that back with perspective taking and empathy, and, and these are some of the tools that we would use, we'd say, let's think about a customer. So imagine, coach, you're sitting there, your, your house is burnt down, you've lost family, friends, all your property, you're not sure where to live, insurance companies are trying to deal with them. You get a phone call out of the blue, don't know the number. And they say, hi, it's Daniel from the bank. Um, uh, just before we start, can you just give me a full name, date of birth, address, mother's maiden name? Because uh, they've got to identify you as a financial services institution. Now, uh, mm. what would you feel like? How, how would you respond? Most people probably hang up. <laughs> um, even if they went through that process, let's think about your staff. Are they um, equipped to make the calls? What happens if this person breaks down on the phone? What if they ask about all these other products they've got? Can they deal with any of that? Uh, What happens if they have some mental health response to that? Uh, Can you deal with that internally? Uh, What would the media say? Is a bank trying to flog customers' credit cards during a crisis? Like, is that a, and I know that's not your intent, but 
if we tell the media, sorry, that wasn't our intent, can you please fix that? <laughs> they, right. they don't care. So yeah, the damage is done, right? Damage is done, right? And then, so we, we take these different perspectives now and say, in that, in this this new context, you know, from the first point of call, we sort of went, okay, in our very direct blinkered, this is us and our intention view, this sounded like the greatest idea in the planet. But now when we look at it from other perspectives, this starts to look a bit different. And the time to take those perspectives would have saved this bank a lot of challenge in the long run. But these are the mistakes that we make quickly, sitting in our own shoes, just looking at it from that one perspective. Nice. Very cool. So that's the strategic empathy you're talking about? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I use the term strategic empathy. And, uh, there is a, there's lots of definitions for empathy um, because I want us to move away from this idea that as a leader, my job is to feel what someone else is feeling. That can be useful, can be debilitating. Right? Mm -hmm. if, if someone's incredibly depressed and upset and now I feel depressed and upset, great. We've got two people depressed and upset, but I'm not, I'm not necessarily leading them anywhere. Um, and I think for leaders, it's about understanding that and then being able to take uh, the appropriate actions to, to support and, and lead someone. And, and that's where I, I think this idea of strategic empathy helps people to, to realize it's action-oriented, it's decision-making, and it's leadership. It's not just emotions. Yeah, yeah, action-oriented is huge. Because you can think things, but if you don't actually act on them, what good is it, right? 100%. So how do you build an empathetic culture? Like I said, we had a, we had a panel discussion um, a week or so ago where we talked about company culture. What does it mean? Uh, how do cultures go wrong? How do you get it back on track? Um, there's a lot of companies, business, business owners that don't really understand what culture is. You know? So how do you go about explaining culture and how to build that empathetic culture? So the definition I... Well, the way I get people to think about culture is uh, culture is defined by the next million little things that happen around here and everything counts. And so uh, I want people to realize that culture is not what you um, cognitively think about what's going on here. It's also what you, you emotionally feel about what's going on here. So um, Jonathan Haidt has this brilliant idea of um, in our brain is an elephant with a little man riding on his back. And the man riding on the back, that's our conscious brain, a very smart, logical, Daniel Kahneman would call it system two brain, you know, our, our slow brain. And the elephant is our uh, subconscious brain. And, uh, you know, it, it, the, the rider thinks he's in control until the elephant gets spooked and we find out who's really in control. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, culture is felt by the elephant. Culture is what the elephant feels about what's going on here. So everything counts. Um, the way you can shape a culture most effectively, I think, is, and we can take uh, really good insight from history here. If you look at a uh, long view of human history, all successful groups of humans have had a shared set of beliefs. And religion is a good example of this, but it's not exclusive. Uh, sometimes it's um, in territorial, tribal. There's a whole bunch of them. The, the thing they do above and beyond just the beliefs, though, is they build a set of rituals, physical activities that we do to reinforce those beliefs. 
and there's really tight alignment between these. So if you think of something like Ramadan, where you know there's this act that um, that Muslims would uh, partake in to reinforce the you know the, their beliefs around uh, understanding someone else's hunger and suffering and, and you know putting things off and then supporting and, and helping people. There's a whole bunch of these examples that you can take from lots of parts of um, religion, for example. So let's take that to a company or an organization. You have a set of beliefs, your vision, your values, things you put on the wall. This is where we're going. You then build a set of systems and processes which become your rituals. But do these two things ever align? Mm. So let's say I wanted to have a, a curious and empathetic culture. I put those in my values. I'm going to have more curiosity, more empathy. Okay, so I want to go back to your systems and processes now. Do they force people to make really fast decisions on minimal amounts of information and assumptions? Okay. Do you see the misalignment here? You know, I, I worked with the team, a sales team, and um, their, their major activities were uh, you know, sales meetings, targets, commissions. These are the things that drove what they did every day, prospecting. So mining databases and trying to flag customers so that other people in the team couldn't talk to them. But their beliefs were... Uh, yeah, and these were all very individualistic, these rituals, very individualistic, competitive. The words on the wall, the, the values were teamwork, collaboration, <laughs> you know, family. Support. Yeah, we're all yeah, family. Yeah, exactly. And so we actually need to, if I could support people, in, and we do these activities a lot with, with clients I work with, um, we'll say, okay, let's not change the words on the wall and make them a new, prettier version because they're fine. They're probably great. Let's instead look at, do this is this through line between rituals and beliefs there and if it's not let's change the rituals so if you want to build a more empathetic culture then in your team meetings are we are we sitting down and going hang on why would someone do that you know if, if an order comes down through an organization we see this a lot in government organizations i see so many leaders as this order comes down to them they go oh this is dumb all right well i just i guess we just have to do it and they turn to their team and say, well, we're just going to do it because, you know, they said so. And instead, I, my encouragement there is, well, why would they do that? Let's explore that. Let's sit down with our team and go, what could be going on that would drive someone to make this decision? And, you know, them being a jerk might be an answer, but it's probably not the only one. <laughs> it's probably not the one they were using to make the decision. So yeah. let's think more broadly. And so you build empathy in through activities, through process through um, action it's uh, we train the elephant through through activity not through that just cognition alone nice yeah because a lot of that happens like you said at the subconscious level that's not easy just to tap into it's not like you can just pull that piece out and wash it off and put it back or something you know that's uh, 100%. Yeah. and, and that, that's why empathy is hard right because you know, when coach, let's say you're on the couch, you've got a bowl of popcorn, you're watching a scary movie. When the man jumps out with the chainsaw, you get scared. Now that's nonsensical, isn't it? Right. That chainsaw can't hurt you. <laughs> it's on the TV, right? You, the most dangerous thing in the room is the popcorn is a choking hazard and you're just shoving that in. You don't like, think about it. Right. So um, we need to remember that there is that part of our brain that, doesn't necessarily need or care about logic and rationality. It still drives everything, a lot of the things that we do, and we need to be able to train and, and tap into that, to explore that, uh, and to be 
empathetic and kind towards the fact that that's everyone. That's every person you'll ever meet has that same thing going on. Yeah, empathetic courage and and intellectual courage. So many different types of courage kind of cover this, you know, or or you have to be able to to be courageous enough to to open up and change on this. Um, When we talk about courage, a lot of the topics or a lot of things we talk about is where you found the courage to leave your nine to five job, the safety zone, right? The the safety net um, to start your own business and and your own success. Where did you find the courage to keep going through the setbacks, the divorce, the bankruptcies, things like that? Um, Where did you find the courage to create your own business, especially around a topic that's probably difficult for people to to understand? Yeah, there was a couple of drivers. And I think um, think courage comes up in lots of little spaces we we too often think courage is you know knight in shining armor or right. you know joan of arc at the front of the the army I, I think courage is um a bunch of little tiny things that push against the the tide sometimes for me it was um one a sense that the work that i was doing wasn't as meaningful inside an organization um the second thing was uh, my, my just We'd had a, our, our daughter. She was uh, long awaited. Uh, she was the result of 11 IVFs over a 10 year journey and wow. um, quite the challenge. And, you know, it made me sort of reflect on what, what are the workforces I want her to go into? What are the yeah. environments I want her to experience, uh, you know, in, in 18, 20 years when she gets there? And um, it wasn't the workforces that I was seeing and experiencing. And, you know, I, I I know that organizations are better when people actually think about other people. They're better for their employees. They're better for their stakeholders, the shareholders. It, it's a better place to be. So um, I guess it, it, maybe it was courage. Uh, maybe it was determination um, or selfish desire for my daughter's future. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, I'm, once I made the decision, and I think this is an important thing, is once you make the decision, you've got to commit to, I'm going to do this properly. I'm going to give it what I can. And, um, you know, I actually started loving the the challenges that arose that different, but, but you know, fun. Uh, I get to work with a lot more diverse people from around the world in really messy and challenging parts of work. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, you talk about courage. What's the courage that I see my clients and now help leaders like that take it's it's things like when you're sitting in a room of people and everyone seems to be agreeing and there's this little inkling that hang on i'm not sure we've thought about this there's a big part of your brain that'll go just agree pile on this is great i want to be part of the group you know and let's agree fast and and smile and nod at each other um but there's the courage to say well actually i think this is not i I want to ask another question or I want to challenge someone who isn't used to being challenged. Yeah. I want to um, I want to pause when everyone says go, and I want to do that because I think there's something that's worth finding here, and and that's that takes real courage in organisations. Sure. Well, and it takes courage to build the type of culture where people feel safe enough to say, "Hold on a minute, I don't think we've talked about this enough. I don't think we've explored this enough." Yeah, yeah. and, and it, it's also you have to say it to yourself. Um, 
you have to say, hey, I've got an assumption, but I might be wrong. Now, the human brain doesn't love that. It doesn't <laughs> like that. It likes to think it's right. It's, uh, I think the neuroscientist Bo Lotto says that your brain's only function is to reduce uncertainty in the world. That's it. Yeah. And um, to question is to reintroduce uncertainty. So really? it's it's tough. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we talk about that too. You know, if if, if you think something is bad, right? You're going to see that everywhere, right? Or um, use the example, okay, I, I say I'm stupid. Well, my subconscious then tries to prove that, yes, you're right. Look at your family. Look at the friends you hang out with, right? Look at all these things you've done to prove that, yes, you are correct, right? So uh, we do that to ourselves. And like I said, when we start pulling out these things from our past, thinking these people sitting in this room are just like those people back there in the past, it's not. You got to stop. You got to stop and yeah. think. Hundred percent. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So, how many people do you have work for you in your organization? Not a lot. We've got a, a couple of people. Uh, I work with a number of other facilitators who uh, also deliver. And so, when we work with large clients and we have uh, you know multiple ways of working, uh, we'll often bring them in. Uh, a lot of the work I do uh, at the moment, I really love it, uh, is uh, professional speaking. Um, particularly now when conferences are back on and we're yeah. back in person, getting on stage. And, and uh, as you sort of alluded to my videos, I try and make a bit of fun and, and uh, make examples that are relatable and easy to sort of digest. So uh, that's, that's one of my favorite places is to be, uh, you know, on, on stage at, at conferences. Um, I'm off to uh, one on, uh, not far from here in a couple of days and then New Zealand next week. So, uh, yeah, it's it's great to be back on stage and, and speaking at conferences again. Yeah, now that things are opening up again. Yeah, that's awesome. So if I was to bump into any of these folks that you work with and ask them what type of leader you are, what would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? Uh, I'd hope they say um, challenging. Uh, and from the perspective that um, I'm always looking to challenge my clients and, and uh, those people to think slightly differently, uh, to question the way they see the world and, and not necessarily to always think that they're wrong, but to always revalidate whether the assumptions they're using are, are right. And, um, you know, we live in a volatile, uh, ambiguous and complex world. It's, things are changing all the time. So any assumption you had a few years ago, it's likely to be worth questioning and again now. And so uh, that, that's, I hope, what they would say. Someone who just keeps asking that sometimes annoying question. You know, um, Coach, I don't know about you, uh, in Australia here, co uh, consultants get a bit of a bad rap sometimes. You know, they take your wristwatch to tell you the time. But um, often they ask the somewhat obvious question that, most people have thought of, but no one said out loud. And, you know, that's one of the things I love to, to do is to ask those questions that people know they're the right question. They've just never had the maybe courage <laughs> to ask it and, and uh, push people a little bit. Sure. Well, yeah, if it's one of those type of questions that that's going to bring up debate, that's going to bring up, you know, a lot of negatives or something like that, people just stay away from it. And again, yeah. if the culture isn't one where you're safe, to raise your hand and say, I disagree. Yeah, you're probably not gonna hear those questions, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Jeez. So what's what's next for you? I mean, you've got a lot going on. The the speaking, I mean, you're an engaging speaker. I've been watching the videos and everything, you know, very well done. Um, 
But what's next? What do you what, what's coming up for you? Yeah, there's a couple of really exciting things that we've got uh, in the works at the moment. One um, is a masterclass. Uh, so this is where we actually take leaders through much of what we've talked about, but, but with a real focus of, okay, what, what is the sort of culture you want to build? What are the skills to get there? What are your values as a leader? Um, how do you turn those values into leadership commitments, things you actually do? Um, we go through empathy, perspective taking, here are the tools, here's how you implement that in your team. Uh, and how do you embed that now into those rituals and beliefs? And so we unpack some of those pieces, getting people into that strategic decision-making. So that, that's something that we're uh, launching this year. We've been working with a lot of public sector, so government organisations in that space, now moving much more into the, the private sector with that. Uh, the second thing, which is probably more exciting, is we're gamifying this idea of strategic empathy. Hmm. So um, I don't want to give away too much, um, but uh, imagine, Coach, that you're at a, either a conference table or in a breakout room on Zoom or something like that, and uh, there's six people. We would give you a problem. Maybe we'd say, okay, Coach, you're the CEO of this round. Um, here's this project. Uh, you've thrown $200 million in this project already. is isn't finished still got some runway, uh, you need another 50 to keep it going, what are you going to do? And so we give you that problem. And then we say, here's a briefing from a, a market analyst about your company. And so you would watch that. It will be a little video, et cetera. The next person, this person sitting next to you would say to them, um, you know, Jane, you're the CFO of this business. Here's the problem, $200 million in, 50 more, what should you do? But we're going to give your, uh, you, your financial CFO, as uh, so a deputy CFO is going to give you a briefing around mm. how razor thin some things are here and, and you know, how tough the budgets are at the moment. The next person, they're your chief risk officer. The next person is your chief tech officer. And, you know, the technology officer is really excited. This is going to be award-winning. And if we get this project done, you know, this is going to be groundbreaking. And so what we create is a situation where different perspectives are coming to look at the same problem. And we want to look at what decision the CEO is going to make and how they get information from different people. Because that's what the real world's like. Mm -hmm. You know, so many uh, of these uh, workshop games Everyone comes in with the same view, but that's not real. So no. we get them to make a decision and, and we sort of think, well, that's the highlight here. But the kicker is we then ask each person uh, to give a rating on how well they were heard, how well they were th they think their point of view was considered, how satisfied are they with decision and how comfortable are they sharing that decision with others. Wow. And so what we can measure is not only what decision you made, because that's important, but also the level of um, understanding and commitment you've fostered in your team mm. towards this decision. Because in the long run, about 80% of whether it's successful or not comes from the second part. It's not the decision-making, it's right. the commitment. And a committed team can make a bad decision, pivot quickly and, and fix it. Right. Uh, a team that aren't committed and that start politics and infighting it doesn't matter what decision they make, it's probably going to be a tough road ahead. Absolutely. And so this gamification for workshops um, allows us to create uh, a physical experience for people. It, we, we start the, the elephant starts feeling frustrated and annoyed, <laughs> right? Yeah. We go back to Jonathan Haidt's analogy. And, um, and, and that's really a, that, that's a pretty sort of cool development that we've got because uh, we want empathy to be something people feel and experience, not think sure. about and, and, uh, you know, intellectually understand only. Yeah. 
No, and that sounds like a real life example. I think I worked at that company before, right, where everybody's <laughs> got their own the, the competing initiatives. You know, this group yep. is trying to accomplish this. This group's trying to accomplish something else. It's taken budgets away and resources away. And man, yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. it's the real world, it, and yeah, it is a bit of fun as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a lot of uh, a lot of interesting conversations in that situation. I bet. Very cool. I hope you go back and show them how they should have uh, run that meeting, right? And ask Absolutely. the right questions and pause and all that stuff. Hundred yeah. percent. And you know, like I'll, I'll give you one uh, free little tip, if you like, uh, sure. that any of your your leaders could implement immediately uh, in that situation where you've got to make a decision. Uh, share all the information, but before anyone gives their opinion, particularly you giving your opinion on what we should do, ask everyone to write down what they think they should do in silence mm. on a piece of paper in front of them. Um, because what happens too often is leaders will jump in first and go, well, I think we should do X. And they anchor everyone else around X. Everyone looks at the problem from the perspective of you've chosen an answer already. And it really, um, it cuts off some of that other uh, good and useful thought in the room. Uh, some people say, well, I'll just let everyone else speak first, but the extroverts will jump in quickly and they'll set a new anchor wherever the extrovert, you know, uh, thinks is the right place. Whereas if everyone writes it down in silence, you start to get much more of that uh, transparency of thought and um, it, it allows people to start to share what's really going on and you get a much richer tapestry of, of information. Very cool. Good stuff. Well, Daniel, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your, your time getting up so early to, to join us and stuff. If people want to learn more about you, more about the programs, the things that you have, um, speaking engagements coming up, anything like that, where can they do that? Where, what's your website? Yeah, empathicconsulting.com. So E-M-P-A-T-H-I-C, consulting, or one word, .com. And uh, you'll find all our workshops, blogs, uh, information there. Uh, follow me on LinkedIn. As, as you mentioned, uh, there's a lot of things up there, Coach, on, on uh, my LinkedIn. So uh, if you just search Daniel Murray Consult, uh, Empathetic Consulting or Pathic Consulting, uh, you'll probably find me. And I'd uh, love to connect with people there. And, um, yeah, uh, they're the two best ways. Obviously, people can email me directly. I'm always keen to, to meet new people and, and try and understand what's going on in their world. Exactly. Very cool. Yeah. And your YouTube channel, I would highly recommend a lot of good stuff out there too. So definitely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I will have all those links in the show notes for everybody. Um, so you can reach out to you and stuff. And again, thanks. Thanks for being on the program. Really appreciate it's it. It's been my pleasure, coach. Thanks so much. All right. Listeners, hope you guys are taking a lot of good notes, a lot of good information here. Definitely check out uh, the website and consider empathy, your empathetic reaction to people and stuff. It's not just what you think they're thinking. It's getting to know them, right? Getting to know where they're at stuff. So um, yeah, share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues, and stick around because there's always more coming. All right, that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now.